the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Uh, of course, Americans for Prosperity, the Arkansas chapter. I wanted to start off with this. Uh, of course, you probably have already heard that uh, the, the Kirstie Alley died uh, late yesterday. Short battle with uh, cancer. We don't know what kind of cancer, uh, but uh, passed on. And I, I blew, I blew Aaron away because Aaron's a young buck, man. I mean, he's just a young guy. What you're, what seventeen? Is that what you are? I'm 23, buddy. I'm just joking, Aaron. <laughs> I know you're older. If we round up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll round up. How's that? Yeah, he's, okay, 23. So I'm asking about Kirstie. And I ask him about Cheers, and he kind of gives me a, eh, yeah, kind of. And then I said, okay, here's the first movie she was in. She was in The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek. Yep. And she came out on that, sta- on that set, and she was bald. And I'll never forget it because I looked at her and I said, what is this? And I thought, but she looks pretty good, bald, man. I got to tell you, she looks pretty good. She was a great actress. She really was. And she had great comedic um, uh, timing. I think it was about two years later she ended up with uh, with the Cheers cast. She took the place of Shelley Long. And everybody was thinking, Cheers is done. I mean, Ted Danson who lives here in little, North Little Rock somewhere. I don't know exactly where him and Amir Stenbergen are at. I've tried to get her to come out to my classic movie, and she won't come out because of my politics. But the bottom line is is that um, everybody thought that, you know, maybe another two years. But they thought that when Shelley Long left, that the show had jumped the shark. And it didn't. Rebecca showed up, and uh, it went on for quite some time from that yeah. part. That was her. That was her character's name. She won her uh, Emmy uh, doing Cheers. So uh, you know, hearts are a little bit saddened today. Just to be honest, um, do wish she had gotten herself hooked up with the truth spiritually, but uh, she was into Scientology. What can I say? It's just the way that is. All right. With that said, let's move on. Ryan Norris, how are you this morning? I'm waking up. Yeah, that's about the truth of it when you do this show. <laughs> and you got to do the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, there's some changes coming to the show. I can't tell you what they are, but they're going to happen in the uh, next year. And they are good. I'm just telling you right now, they are good. I think Ryan has already been told what those changes are. I have. We've My been, lips are sealed. Yeah, you, we've, we've said what's coming, but it's good, huh? Yes. Very excited about it, Dave. <laughs> it's going to be pretty cool. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I will tell you that starting on the 16th, on the, on the 9th is the first day of the new session in 2023. Uh, we will not be there that week because there's just going to be a whole lot of glory stuff going on. 
we will carry the governor's sp- first speech or you know speech to the to the state and all of that. But um, on the 16th, which is the day after Martin Luther, is it 16th? It's a week later. Um, and yeah, that's right. Uh, should be the 16th. Uh, on every Tuesday and Thursday, my show will be live from the Capitol, just so you know. And uh, I'm planning on six weeks uh, being there every every week, and then we'll go with as we get to, uh, the big the big battles brew, and we know what's going to be coming up, and everything's going to be voted on. Then we'll be there for all of those battles as well. If something is coming up in the afternoon, and it's a big, 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 big story, uh, Sean Hannity is going to have to take back seat. And uh, we'll be over there live to, to take care of all of that. So Fun just times. know, hey, just know we're back now. The COVID is in the in our rearview mirror and everything. As uh, Meatloaf would say, things in your side view mirror closer than they may appear. Uh, just know that we'll be doing what we want to do as far as keeping you uh, abreast of what's happening uh, in your legislature. We've done that for ever since I got here. All right, so let me roll back real quickly this morning, 11 minutes after 6, that in uh, 2010, there was a state representative that I got to know from down in the uh, the Hot Springs area by the name of Bruce Westerman. And uh, he says, Dave, uh, I want to come on the show. And I said, okay. So we had him on the show that day, and he said, I have a way of dealing with education here in the state of Arkansas, uh, that helps us get around uh, the Lakeview case. Because at that point, the Lakeview case was nothing more than an impediment uh, to education here in the state of Arkansas. And I said, okay, Bruce, what is it that you think should be done? He says, I think we should make the money that the kids are getting for their education, going to the schools, that money should go and follow the kids. And at that point, it's completely equal, and it gets around Lakeview. And we can do education the way it should be done. And I thought, wow, this is, this is a great idea. I mean, uh, this is when, you know, the, uh, the infamous word that you can't even say today without some teachers getting upset. Uh, out there, you know, we say scholarships now. But what was the what was the name? What was the word that you couldn't say back then? Uh, vouchers. Voucher. All right, still can't say it. You say it today. You say voucher, and people. I'm just telling you, the the fists come up. They're ready to duke it out with you. Vouchers. So we're gonna hopefully this next year gonna see education scholarships. I think they're called ESAs, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, come on, and uh, we're going to see the money follow the children here in the state of Arkansas. What does that mean for public education? They got to get better. Yeah. That's what. It, that is the main thing that it means. They got to get better. They got to start listening to the parents, and if they don't listen to the parents, the parents are going to take the kids out of their school, and they're going to. I don't know. Lose seven, eight thousand dollars a year from them. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 overall thing to think about in this is that it's about the freedom of the family to choose the education model that best fits their child. 
Give to me the moral argument for keeping children in failing systems. I want to hear that. Yeah, there is no, there is no there, argument. There is no argument. Uh, be it that it's not a fit for you know the child in the curriculum that's there or the child in the environment that's, that's there in that school, there is no reason to keep a child in a, in a school system that's not working for them. Um, you know, we, we have a large project going on with the Rockefeller Institute. Uh, they're the uh, arm of the University of Arkansas. They have a program there on collaborative dialogue, and we pull together stakeholders from across the state. I mean, every opinion on education is there, Dave. And the, the they're trying to improve. I will say that, you know, I don't think that, uh, that they're just sitting back and resting, but the and saying, hey, things are the way they are, and that's the way they're going to be. I think that public education in Arkansas does want to improve. But can it improve rapidly enough to where my child that's already in education or other children that are in education are about to be into education, will it improve fast enough to where they'll get the quality of education that we need them to have so Arkansas can move forward as a state? Probably not as fast. The bureaucracy grinds the fine monolith. and slow. The monolith. Yes. That's what it is. And so we have to become a society, and we should be, because we, we talk about this in all other aspects of life, but we have to get to a point where as a people that believe in freedom, we have to trust each other to exercise our freedoms in our way. So if I want to send my child to a religious school, everybody should be okay with that. If you want to send your child to another different religious school, I need to be okay with that. If you want your child to be in public school, that's great. But even in public schools, Dave... We talk, we're talking about ESAs, but another area is you have residential assignments to where right now there's a 3% cap to where even if you have a, you're in a public school by virtue of where you live, you cannot easily go to another school that may be a better fit and still a public school, not a private school, not even a charter school, even though charter schools are public schools. That's right. Uh, so more freedom for people to create the model of education that best fits their child so that their child has a passion for education, that's where we need to be. Uh, one of the one of the reports that I just saw recently said that among our high school graduates, only about 27% are able to pass the eighth grade reading assessments. If you can't read, you're your possibilities of success moving forward are very, very, very limited in our culture. And rightly so. I mean, I, under, I can understand that. I hope everybody else can understand why that would be the case. Yes. And and so when we look at this, I'm not even looking at it in terms of saying, hey, let's figure out where who we're going to blame and when we're going to blame, because we're talking about 100-plus years of education you know, in Arkansas, and things have accumulated and accumulated. I don't even care about the blame. What we need to care about is what's the solution moving forward. And if the solution moving forward looks like more of the same, I'm out. Yeah, see, you and I see things very, very closely This is similar. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm a Reagan Republican, and people know that. And so I am very, very interested in what is the, what is the solution mm-hmm. to something. I don't care who gets the credit. Right. Just like Reagan was. I don't care who gets the credit, but we do know there are certain things that we have to do, and let's get it done. Right. I don't. I don't care if it's some whacked out group from you know <laughs> somewhere in, in Mars that comes up with the idea. 
let's get it instituted. And then let's uh, pay attention and be able to call, you know, black, black, white, white, green, green. Uh, and understand that um, there can be people that are on our side mm-hmm. that are against us on this issue. Yeah. And they got to be called out when they have to be called out. Right. And a lot of times that has to do with, you know, uh, loyalty to the, the, you know, the current systems. But we should have, first and foremost, is, is the system producing for our kid? And there are places to where the public schools are doing excellent jobs in educating kids. Mm-hmm. And we even need to look at some th- ways that we even assess uh, schools based on, you know, the A, B, C, D, E, F, because sometimes you can have a school that based on it being a, uh, in a low-income area may have a lower score, but their kids are actually having greater education attainment. And when you balance out the education attainment versus the uh, the criteria or the measures that really are more inclined towards whether they're poor kids or, or you know, disadvantaged kids, the kids are learning and they're doing great. There's some teachers doing amazing work, but we don't know about them nearly enough. And we don't have a system that allows them to scale. How do we get more teachers like those teachers that are doing excellent, excellent work? Uh, I give a, an example. I went to graduated high school here in the state and I uh, came from a, a more affluent school from another state. And Set in my chemistry class, my chemistry teacher, Mr. Adams, love the man, Leslie Arkansas, one of the best best teachers I've ever had in my life. Boy, that's a small area. It too. is. And this man was brilliant. He walked in, I remember him saying, look, I've got good news and bad news. The, the bad news is we don't have the money to have a full chemistry lab. You guys aren't probably going to get to mix one thing in here. The good news is I know chemistry, and I know what it looks like on paper, and I'm going to teach you guys chemical equations until you can do them in your sleep. And lo and behold, if that gentleman did not do that, and we all walked out energized about education, doing they looked like they were four-foot-long chemical equations. Then we go into college, and many of us that went into college that took chemistry did very well because we could see it in our head and work it out on paper before we ever mixed a single chemical. Man, I loved chemistry. I loved, you know, balancing chemical equations. That's something I enjoyed doing. It's great. And uh, I got I, in my yearbook, my senior yearbook, I had – well, probably 15 or 20 signatures about people saying, thanks for getting me through chem- chemistry, because other kids had problems. I couldn't understand why they were having problems, you know, measuring molecules and adding and subtracting, basically, what it all came down to. Right, right. you you, you got to know the rules. you got to know the rules. But he did that. He, he taught us. And so you can have excellent teachers in areas. And how do we how do we get more excellent teachers? How do we scale the, those teachers? How do we, uh, you know, how do we retain the good ones? And that's part of the project too. Is they're working on teacher recruitment and and retention. And um, a lot of times it's you know a lot of the knee jerk reaction is well we just need to pay more money. Well that that can be a conversation piece, but also the environment of a school is very important. The leadership structure of a school is very important to a teacher. So I look at choice in a 
in several different, well, three different ways. There's the education choice that the parents need to have. There's the education choice that districts need to have to say, hey, our community's needing this style of education right. or this type. And then allowing teachers greater autonomy within their classes to teach to mastery, teach the individual student. We have too much of this one-size-fits-all approaches, and teachers are getting boxed in, and they're getting frustrated, and they're losing their passion. But that's what education choice can also bring about in this, Dave, and I'd love to talk more about that. Yeah, we can end. do it. We can do it. We got, uh, we've got an hour to do it in. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk more about this with Ryan Norris. He's the head of the, uh, of course, uh, uh, now I've, I've got your the name of your group. That's all right. Just say your name of your group. Americans Ar- for Prosperity. Yeah, Americans for Prosperity. Gosh, I just went blank there. Of course, this is the Arkansas chapter. Uh, PI Roofing and Home Solutions want you to know they're ready to help you. I, uh, I've seen uh, uh, the folks at PI Roofing now on some of the big billboards around town. They're really wanting everybody to understand this whole home solution side of their business. Uh, they have done a great job over the last 20 years branding themselves as the best in the roofing business, and they are. Uh, but they're much more than that now. They have people that are on their staff that if you need some kind of uh, uh, you know job done, construction job done at your house, let's say, for instance, I'll use myself as an example, I've got to get my uh, my deck fixed. It's uh, you know, it's been together for 12 years. It's starting to show wear, tear, and they're going to come out and work on it come this uh, this spring and get it back up to snuff again. Well, I'm going to go with PI Roofing because if I try to go to a big construction site, that job is too small for them to even give any time to it. So they're going to say to me, Dave, uh, no, yeah, we'd like to do it, but no, we're not going to do it. But, uh, you know, PI Roofing, who's done my roof twice and has done a fantastic job, says, yeah, Dave, we can do it. We get people to do it for you. Just come on over and talk to them. Let them come out and talk to you on the site, and uh, we'll get it done. So that's going to happen with PI Roofing. Look at PI Roofing now as your home solution. Whatever you need to get done around the house, they can do it for you. You can call them at 501-707-3115, 501-707-3115, or visit them online, piroofing.com. I mean, instead of what we heard from uh, uh, talking to Ryan here just a moment ago about most of the kids that are graduating read at an eighth grade level or whatever, that that's that's BS. That right. should not be the case. It's right. got to be much better than that if we if we want to have the workforce uh, that we want to draw different. You know, businesses here to the state of of Arkansas. Education plays a very vital part in that. So, Ryan, I know that you've been working about this, uh, you know, hard over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, it's very important. I mean, it's the the catalyst to our economy. It's the catalyst to decreasing, you know, our our, uh, incarceration rates. There's so much that education can do uh, that that its its value can't be totally calculated but yet we continue to protect systems that are not uh, advantaging our children in their education attainment and kids are are checking out if the system worked 
that would be one thing, but it's not. So we need to be bold and innovative, and I think uh, Governor-elect Sanders will be able to be a leader in this. I know she will. And AFP looks forward to helping advance not just, you know, the reforms on ESA, you know, where the money follows the students, but also looking at the statewide open enrollment, looking at other innovative uh, ideas that allow teachers greater flexibility to teach. Uh, you know, we want to support the whole system, but the whole system is is in need of some repairs. All right. We're going to take a break, then we're going to come back. we got some news for you, and then Ryan and I will have uh, more of a discussion, like how do we make sure the money gets to the places it needs to get to, how long will it take if they decide to go universal school choice here in the, the state of Arkansas, how long will it take to kick that in and get it going? I can only tell you, in Florida and Arizona, didn't take long at all. It was very, very quick. And we'll talk about what are they preparing right now before they start meeting at the beginning of next year. Okay, you're on your way in. You're going, what's else we talking about today? Well, one of the main topics I've talked about for about 13, low, almost 13 years now, is education here in the state of Arkansas and how uh, I call it education freedom, mm-hmm. all right? It's, it's called school choice by other people. But the bottom line is how can we change education in our country to get back to what education used to be in our country, where kids were going to school, they were learning, uh, they, they knew enough that they could get by in real life, and they weren't being taught a bunch of uh, hokum. Uh, on the side you didn't have to worry about knowing what a, a person's pronouns were you didn't need to have three types of bathrooms a lot of different things like that uh, although i will say with school choice down the line if you want your child to be learning that type of information there may be a school that that's what they deal with i mean they may say yeah we're going to be a transgender school. That's a possibility. Just know that there will be ways of measuring to make sure that the main reason a kid goes to school is being attained. Mm-hmm. I mean, there will be ways of figuring out and not teaching to the test. Right. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. There's different ways. I mean, we're, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, Ryan Norris and I are going to uh, – be on the air a lot together over uh, the, during the time of when the uh, General Assembly is meeting. And I think I've got him set up the second uh, time that I'm live at the, uh, at the Capitol because we're going to be on this like white on rice. <laughs> and uh, you will hear about it. You will know about it. And I hope that you will tune in to keep yourself appraised about what is going on uh, with education here in, this, in the state of Arkansas. Uh, the governor has a lady that uh, is at the top of, uh, of uh, the people who work with her, and uh, her name is Gretchen Conger. She is from uh, Arizona. Arizona went, as uh, Ducey, the governor, said, went from zero to 100 as far as school choice was uh, um, imagined. And they made huge changes. So did, so did Florida, 
So did Indiana. So did, um, let me think off the top of my head, West Virginia and, Virgi- and Virginia and others. And, uh, I mean, do you see major changes happening out of this uh, session that's coming up? Ryan, you, you've been talking to more of the uh, uh, senators and the, mm-hmm. and the representatives than I have. Yes, uh, education, because so education has been a winning uh, campaign policy for those that have embraced it. Six cents out of every dollar, about, or not out of every dollar, but is it 60 cents out of every dollar goes towards education in the state of Arkansas. It, it is one of the most well-funded components of our government. Yeah. It's, and it, it's, it's funded first and above everything else. not – it's funded, but then the funding <laughs> is not used to make it work well. There, There is also conversations to be had about resource realignment and funding <laughs> realignment when it comes to, to education. Uh, but – Every component of it is being looked at, and I know that Governor-elect Sanders uh, and her team are, have been looking at this. They ran on this. Um, they endorsed candidates that were uh, education freedom candidates. Education freedom candidates win. If you remember in Virginia, uh, Governor Yunkin won on education yep. freedom. You look at DeSantis and the wins that he's having. A lot of that is around education freedom. Um, Let me get, stop you just for one second. The night of the midterms, uh, Brett Barr said something that I found very interesting. He said that Florida was looking like Arkansas. <laughs> That's what he said. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll take and that now compliment. maybe we'll take something from Florida and add it into our components here in Arkansas. Yeah, and Florida's doing very well with their education freedom, with their ESAs that they have there. Uh, the uh, I had on my podcast, Believe in Arkansas podcast, uh, Dr. Uh, Angela Kennedy, who was a public school teacher, was dissatisfied with the environment, dissatisfied with the structure of education, with the outcomes of education. She felt boxed in. She took the ESA program and started her own school. Now, it was a difficult process for her. You know, she had to, it's a business, so she had to go through all these, those kind of barriers and things. But now she has Deeper Root Academy in florida that is very successful kids are coming to her uh that that are not doing so well in school she finds their their way that they learn she finds their type of intelligence you know i was explaining to you you know logical intelligence is it uh mathematical is it you know kinesiology and body intelligence and then she builds the curriculum around that style that that t- style of learning mm-hmm. and the passion. And when that happens, these kids are just meteoric in their education attainment. They the re- explode. Reading goes up, math goes up. But teachers under an education freedom model like Florida or like Arizona, you will have the ability to say, I think I can come up with another and a better way of educating that's not a one-size-fits-all approach to my kids. And you can be entrepreneurial in this, and the dollars will follow the students. So people say, well, what about, what about schools that don't 
that don't educate the students well. Well, guess what? They fail and they close. Right now, if a public school is failing, it gets more funding yeah. and stays open. There is not a... They, throw, uh, they think throwing more money at it is the answer, and yeah. it's not. And it's not. It's not. Um, can there be conversations about money and realignment of all that? Yes. Is there conversations that need to be had about paying teachers more? Yes. Let's have those conversations. But let's not take our eye off the ball, which is we, our children need to be educated. They need to know how to read. They need to know how to do mathematics. When you look at the mathematics in the state of Arkansas, it's lower in attainment than the reading attainment. Mm-hmm. And math is the language of science. Uh, you know, it's the the language of of all kinds of things nowadays. It's the language of, of computers and coding. So we have an opportunity here in Arkansas, and I don't think we're going to waste it. When I'm looking at what's being said and, and, and who is ending up on committees and uh, what they're focusing in on, there's a laser focus on improving education. And by improving, improvement doesn't isn't just some arbitrary thing. It's it's a very subjective thing that's going to allow the parents to decide, am I getting the quality of education for my kid that I need? Right now, the model, with some exceptions, but the model is predominantly where you can afford to live is the quality of education you get. Yeah, I And agree. that's not equal. That's not fair. That's not right. And if you believe in freedom and equality, you need to be against the current system because it's failing our youth, it's failing our minority students, it's failing our, our kids that are financially disadvantaged. We need to trust each other as communities and as, as parents to make the best decision. Don't leave your children's future just in the hands of bureaucrats that are making decisions with totally different sets of objectives than you have for your kid. All right. Ryan Norris, my guest. Ryan, I know you well enough that you've talked to superintendents yes. and uh, the people who probably will be standing against a lot of the changes that we're talking about during this hour. What is their biggest fears besides losing a paycheck? So it's it's not so much even the paycheck. And, you know, I've we pulled together the Rockefeller Institute Education Project, and I sit with superintendents, uh, teachers, teachers' union groups, uh, and we have conversations. And the, the one of the one of the issues is is that in the in the change implementation, where there's going to be a little bit of a dip because you're trying to learn new ways of going about educating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we overhaul quite a bit. They're they're concerned about you know who's going to uh, who's going to give them the grace to implement the changes and then also they're worried about transparency they're like well you know we want to have you know kind of an apples to apples comparison and if they're going to go to a private school that that private school is educating them and there's some measures for that and that the dollars that are being spent are being spent for the child's education. So there's some issues on transparency and things I don't disagree with or on making sure that we're taking some kind of measures periodically to make sure that the child does have education growth happening. Uh, so those conversations, if we can work those out and get those baseline fears out, it's it's not even so much about really about the money going out of the traditional schooling system as much as it is, hey, can you at least make it fair? That's the conversation that's happening now. There are very resigned that with the incoming administration, with the makeup of the state of Arkansas's General Assembly, that an education savings account style is coming. 
And so the conversations we've been having with them is, well, where are your fears? And let's talk out what's yeah. reasonable. Where do you think it, this doesn't work at? Right. We don't want to exclude anyone from the table. You're talking about decades and decades of experience among some of them. They have very valuable things to contribute that Arkansans need to take seriously. And that we, uh, you know, that even on the school choice side of things, even if they disagree with us, they may have points that are very valid on certain things. And let's incorporate those. Let's create the win-win scenario here that, that the win is our children get the best education possible. All right. That's that is the win. I mean, that's where we're shooting. What we're shooting for is that the kids end up when they graduate from high school are reading at a 12th grade level and not at an eighth grade level. We'll talk further about this. Ryan Norris, my special guest, Americans for Prosperity, the Arkansas chapter. He's the chair of that chapter. And I want to talk to you about East End Towing. Sometimes life deals you a bad hand. And your car breaks down on the road, and you're over there on the right shoulder, and you got to get yourself a tow truck. And if that's the case, who do you call? Who do you know is going to show up and uh, put you on the truck and take exactly take your car exactly where you want it to go so that it gets worked on, and you know that the people going to work on it will do the job that you want done and have it done right? How do you make sure... Uh, that, uh, you know, you're not going to get screwed somehow. Well, the best way to do that is do what I do, and that's use East End Towing. Call East End Towing. They've got the equipment to handle your uh, particular problem. They know the situations that you can get involved in. They know about private property tows. They know what uh, what you want to know about where the vehicle is going and all of that. They know if it's a car. They know if it's a, a trailer that pulls a boat, boat or uh, a truck that you got or uh, maybe you uh, – you know, you pull a camper or you drive your camper. They can handle all of it. They've got all the equipment to take care of that. All you have to do is call them and tell them that I told you to call if you want. Uh, that's East End Towing, 501-888-8849. Their number again, 501-888-8849, run by uh, Patrick McIntyre. That's East End Towing. All right, so now you know what you're listening to. It's Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. And uh, Ryan Norris, my special guest, he, of course, from Americans for Prosperity, the Arkansas chapter. And uh, you hear Americans for Prosperity, you hear some of their major uh, speakers here on the show. Akash, you've heard several times here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and he joins us uh, about quarterly is when we typically have him on about eight minutes till seven here on the Dave Ellswick show okay here's some of the questions that I hear I I question uh, different uh, senators different uh, uh, you know house members and and uh, here's what I hear well how do we make sure Dave like I'm a senator or something they'll, they'll talk to me about myself and how do we make sure that the money that we're spending uh, is uh, actually being used by the parents. I mean, let's let's face it. When we talk about uh, school choice, we're talking about if you want to be homeschooling kids and about uh, you know spending money on uh, uh, somebody who's going to be a tutor or whatever it is that uh, you're wanting to use this money for. Uh, how do we make sure that they're using the money 
correctly. And I look at them and I say, well, whatever your question is, you need to get on the committee and question those things and make sure that it's included in the, you know, when you write up what you're going to do about school choice in this state. Right. That only makes sense to me. Right. As far as that's concerned. So how do we make sure that that money is going to be spent right? I mean, do we have something that people have to, uh, I don't know, sign some kind of form, and if they get caught, they could end up going to jail if they're misappropriating the funds? When you look at how some of these are structured, I mean, the money isn't just a blank check that gets sent to parents, but it's sent to the education Establishment, you know, to the to the school that the that the students are that going your to. students going to. Yeah, so there's there's ways of tracking this. You know, Florida has the Florida Promise, and in it, you know, you you have to apply. You tell them where you're going to school. The the money goes to where the to where the school's at, and then it's up to the parents to determine. You know, am I getting the quality of education? If not, then guess what? They can take their money and they go somewhere else. But whenever you start talking dollars and cents and being able to have uh, the parents be in control of that, schools are going to pay attention to what you want a whole lot more. You're going to have a lot more power than than just who you vote for for school board or showing up and being heard or not heard sometimes in, you know, uh, at, at uh, public meetings or whatever that may be. Because now you can say, hey, look this isn't working out for me. We're going to go somewhere else. Or, hey, this is this is working out for me, and I'm going to stay. So, again, we're putting the – you are a consumer of education. Your, your family is. And you need the quality of education that you want for your kid. And this puts the power completely in your hands. Don't like what they're talking about or, or, or teaching at a certain school? Go to another that's a better fit for you. And we have to, as adults in a free market, democratic form of government uh, you know, society, trust each other to live our freedoms the way that we need to live our freedoms. So, again, I'm not saying I have that what fits for Ryan and his child is going to fit for anybody else's child. But guess what? That's fine. I, I applaud anyone having greater autonomy over their future. And you can't – you cannot impact the future potentially more than through education. That's so important, and yet our hands are so tied as parents about where we can go. Right now, it's where can you afford the rent or where can you afford the mortgage. That's probably going to be the best possible school to go to. I know this. My family – Sacrifice to be in a really good school district. Our life could have maybe been a little better if we had moved out a little further from where the good school district was, you know, in the area that we were living. Um, and this was in another state. But my parents sacrificed to make sure that I was in a very good school district. That was my dad's number one uh, criteria for where he was going to live. And we were in a great school district for a long period of time. And it was sacrifice, though, that kept us there. Parents shouldn't have to sacrifice to that level when there's billions of dollars out there to educate your child. You should be able to live where you can afford that has the least amount of stress on your family's budget, and those dollars should track with where your child is the best best going to learn. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this. Now, last question. This is a, a question from myself. How do we make sure that what happens with this does not lead us to a same problem that we had with the lottery. And you had the state 
we decided to go with a lottery, and that money was to be made into small scholarships that a kid could use uh, to go to a college here of his choice in mm-hmm. Arkansas. Problem was, the colleges saw it as a quick way of making money. So they raised their tuitions and all of that to match the uh, scholarships that the kid could get from the lottery. How do we keep that from happening with this? Well, um, one thing that I would say is that there's two different dynamics in a way with higher education and with K through 12 traditional, you know, foundational education. And there's more scarcity allegedly at the high at at the higher education level you know there's only so many colleges out there but we have a lot of public schools we have a lot we have charter schools we have private schools we have home schools we have all kinds of other options so uh, i think that that will the the options and also the ability to innovate like i said with dr uh, angela kennedy who created her own school and new schools potentially being able to come up and come up rather rapidly Starting a new university, pretty big undertaking. Starting a new private school, not necessarily, though it is a daunting task, not necessarily as many hoops to jump through on that. So I think that the market will be able to help keep those prices regulated and no one. On the front end, there could be. There could be you know schools that are already established that say, hey, a lot of people want to get in here, so we're going to have to raise our tuitions. But, uh, you know, everybody's going to be able to get a chunk of money you know, from the state mm-hmm. that would help to augment that. So it could be, you know, again, you might see them go up, but you're getting your dollars in your hands to make your decisions that you need to make. Ryan Norris will be my guest many, many times in the near future as we talk about education, and we'll have a lot of different guests join us as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now, though, we got to get up and get some uh, regular news coming at the top of the hour. Then we're going to hear from the Bible guys. They're going to talk about Hanukkah. That's coming up your way right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so is that uh, Manheim, Manheim Steamroller that we're playing there? I think so. I think that's who that is. All right, good to have them along for the ride. It is the season. Uh, and for most of us, when we say the season, we're thinking Christmas. But for the folks of uh, the Jewish persuasion and belief system, it isn't. It's uh, Hanukkah. And I, I want you to understand that Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of that, a lot of people think that way. I mean, in, in Christendom, they do. They think it's it's Jewish it's Jewish Christmas. So, with that said, I've got uh, Scotts here, uh, Scott Stewart from over at Agape Church, and along with him, Steve Hess is here, and he's from the. Do I say you're the Jewish side? Is that the way to put that? Messianic. Messianic. Check your mic there. Yeah, it's on. Okay. Yeah. Bring up, uh, bring up the mics over here on the guest side, if you would, there, Aaron, because we're, I'm not hearing them. Check, check. There, there we, we are. Now you're there. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about this. Why? Um, because I had a guy on yesterday who was talking about where Christmas traditions come from. Mm-hmm. And he was talking, the first one we talked about was kissing under the mistletoe. All right. Now, where does that come from? You guys have any idea? I don't know that one. Yeah, it had something to do with the fertility. Um, 
comes from the druids. Yeah, yeah. Just because they, that was a plant that stayed green during the winter, the brown times of winter, yeah. and so uh, you know, you know, it was kind of a. a they thought it was magical mm-hmm. that they had it. It was uh, uh, they they believed there was extra power there to be had, and so that's where you know kissing under the the mistletoe. Now, in some parts of the world, they they don't even know what mistletoe is. Yeah, I think actually mistletoe itself means really something bizarre. I think I think the word actually means like. Um, uh, Stick dung or something like that. Have you ever heard that before? I have not. <laughs> I hadn't heard it. <laughs> it's, it's but I mean, we were just going through different things that that you know. Where did where did Santa Claus come from? Right. Yeah. All right. He came from Saint Nicholas, of course. And he's a patron saint sure. of the Catholic Church, and uh, it's it's slowly evolved over the over the years. There's a there's a lot of things in in Christmas that's pagan. Mm-hmm. In its origin, just so you know. I'm not saying that you're pagan because you do it, because you probably don't have any clue what, it, what, uh, why. Because I, Most of it is, not all of it. Yeah, we talked about a lot of uh, things yesterday. Uh, my favorite part was talking about hymns, uh, about Christmas songs. And yeah, some of them you know? are great, yeah. and 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 where the I mean, we all know about you know um, Silent Night and the organ broke down, and a guy wrote it on a guitar, and they they did have a, a piano in the church, and he sat and played that, and it and it had to do with the uh, it was a poem about the end of the Napoleonic Wars. Hmm. Did you know that? No, I, did not know I didn't that. know that either. And that's that's uh, why at the end of it, why you're you know heavenly peace, you know that, that all of that. Um, and uh, uh, oh, what's a good secular one that we talked about? We talked about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Yeah. When you think about that, immediately you think of Christmas, right? And that King Cole, of course, made that popular. But it was written in the middle of the summer. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it was a really, 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 really hot uh, summer in L.A. And the guy, uh, the guy went over to visit his friend, and he was a songwriter, and he was looking at these lyrics on his piano, and it said, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open hire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And he's looking, and he says, hey, this is really great stuff. And he says, what are you working on? And he says, oh, I just made all those things because it's been so doggone hot. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to, you know, tell myself that it's cooler than what it is. And they took and put that song together. And that King Cole happened, who's his friend, happened to hear it and says, that's my song. Oh, wow. And he, he cut it. So anyway, it's pretty interesting to hear yeah. things like yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, just know that everything, it's it's like the old story that I tell on the air about, why is there a sheet over the elements of the Last Supper at your church? And uh, people think that's the burial, cro- the burial cross, cloth of Christ or, or whatever. And uh, my grandfather used to talk about that. And he says, no, it was keep the flies, flies off. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the reason that they did it. Yep. And so there's, there's all these elements that we have built up around Christmas and stuff religiously that have no religious significance whatsoever but hanukkah has religious significance Mm -hmm. 
And yep. it's a fulfilled prophecy. A lot yeah. of people don't know that. And, uh, you know, Christ celebrated That's right. Hanukkah. Yeah. That's important to know, all well, right? If he celebrated it, then it must be important. Yeah. Because especially when he said, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. Yeah, there you so go. So you've got the father and the son celebrating the Feast of, uh, feast of Hanukkah. All right, so why don't we uh, turn it over to you, Scott, so that you can start talking to people about this. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I'll just go ahead and um, just, um, just read a little bit here, uh, very little, uh, here in John uh, chapter 10. Um, and so um, we read in verse number 22, uh, and, and, and many people don't know that Hanukkah is actually in your Bible. Um, and the reason you don't know it's in your Bible is because it's actually translated into English. Hanukkah is obviously a Hebrew word, um, but the Hebrew word means something, and it's actually translated right here. In verse 22, it says, now it was the Feast of Dedication. The Hebrew word for dedication is the word Hanukkah. Okay. Yeah. So it was a Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in, in the temple into Solomon's porch. And so... Um, All right, let me stop you. What's yeah. Solomon's porch? Oh, Solomon's porch. It's a, it's a portion of the, uh, the Temple Mount area. So it's not the temple itself, but the Temple Mount. And there was a, an area called Solomon's Colonnade, which was basically a, a row of, uh, of columns that were on one side of the Temple Mount uh, itself. So he was walking in that area. Okay. And he had gone. And here's the thing that I think, for me, that's really impressive. So, so Jesus takes time out of his life. I mean, let me back up a little bit. The Bible only gives us, the, the Gospels only give us 17 days, some scholars say 18 days, of the life of Jesus. So the ministry is three and a half years, but the Holy Spirit only records about 17 days for us. And so when the Holy Spirit records only 17 days, the things that are given to us must be really important. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is going to lift only 17 days out of a, the lifespan of Jesus for us to read about, what the Holy Spirit chooses to tell us must have huge significance. And one of the things he chooses to tell us about is the fact that Jesus went and celebrated Hanukkah, which is not mentioned in, one of, in Leviticus 23 as far as one of the special feasts. Okay. So it's something different. Uh, and I'll let Steve uh, talk about that. But just kind of lay a little bit more uh, groundwork. So we see that. We see Jesus being in the temple. We go, okay, great, he was there. But what we don't think about is, is this. It took him a week to walk from the Galilee to Jerusalem. It's a long walk. And then another week to walk back. So he put out at least two weeks, two and a half weeks of effort to celebrate this feast that happened. Uh, and if he stayed for the whole eight days of Hanukkah, then we're looking at him investing almost three weeks of his life to celebrate this. And the Holy Spirit makes it a point of wanting the church to know he did this and he must have done it for a reason. So I'll pitch it to Steve. He did it for a reason. Yeah. What, what was, was that reason? What, so, what was the reason that he was doing this? So the um, the whole story, the short version, is that the um, the Greeks, uh, more specifically, was it the Hasmoneans? Who was the specific? The Hasmoneans are the ones who rose up the Maccabees. Yeah. Okay, they yeah. were the ones. But the Greeks came in through um, Antiochus. Not through... Uh, Alexander the Great, but one of his descendants, Antiochus of Epiphanes. And yeah, we've he, heard of that past. Yeah. And he came in <laughs> uh, and uh, ransacked the land, and um, he started doing all kinds of crazy things to the Jewish people. He tried to make them eat uh, pig, 
many people refused to eat Slaughtered pig. a pig right. on the altar. Yep. And banned the Sabbath. Banned the Sabbath. Did all kinds of things Desecrate to prevent the, the Jews from being able to worship. And like uh, Pastor Scott said, he desecrated the temple. But the Maccabees rose up. Um, after a period of about three years when all of this was happening, they finally said they had about enough of this. And then um, uh, gathered all the people. And then they um, uh, took over, kicked them all out. And the, the traditional story is that uh, when they went to rededicate the temple, that they only had enough oil to last for one night. And so that oil miraculously lasted for eight nights. Uh, and so that's why they celebrated for eight days uh, when they rededicated the temple and got all the pagan stuff out and cleaned all the blood and all that other stuff. Um, it's actually, you know, like we think of Judas Iscariot, you know, he was one of the many people in that uh, generation that was named after Judas Maccabee because of that. So that name was a popular name. So just so you know, the word Judas is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Judah. So okay. Ju- Judas's real name would have been Judah and not Judas. Yep. You know, the Judas word Judah, true. if you know anything about World War II history, played an integral part for Nazi Germany because that's what they painted on the Jewish shops oh, right. was Judah. Uh-huh. Right. Just, just so, yeah. something for everybody to. And the part that's uh, the part that is traditional that's not biblical is the is the the miracle of the of the oil lasting for eight days. But I often ask the question, why was it important for it to last eight days? And it's because the two previous times they dedicated the temple in the beginning um, with Solomon, and then when they came back from Babylon, they dedicated it during the time of tabernacles, um, which lasted lasted eight days. So. I tend to believe that the reason they needed it to last eight days, if it did last eight days, was because they were mimicking. Even though it was not during the the actual date time, I believe they were mimicking the time, meaning we're going to dedicate it for eight days just like Solomon did and just like Ezra and Nehemiah did. We're going to rededicate the temple for eight days. And that's why they celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. Okay, I got two two minutes left here before this first segment. So why didn't they celebrate Hanukkah? Back in the major feast that it took place in, because it didn't happen. This didn't happen until 160 BC. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this was um, hundreds of years, eight, nine hundred years after the giving of the Torah and all that stuff. So, yes, this, this event happened in 165 to 167, somewhere around there, BC. So, it's not technically a feast of the Lord right. mm-hmm. as given in the in the Torah. So, this happened in what we would call this intertestamental period. So from the closing of the, of the, of the Old Testament canon to before the opening of Matthew, so you have this 400-year gap, basically. And it was during this time period that this, this thing happened. And you can read this story in a collection of books called the Apocrypha, um, at which um, we don't have in our Bibles. But let me just go ahead and point this out. We used to. Uh, you know, the King James Bible used to have the Apocrypha in it. Um, and uh, there's a book of there's a book first and second Maccabees in uh, in the Apocrypha, and it's the story that we're talking about right here, and tells how they celebrated it and, and those type of things. And obviously, Jesus would have known about that. All right, we're going to take a break. More about uh, Hanukkah when we come back here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick show. Are they going to have the? I always ask you this: uh, Is the rabbi going to have the the menorah up on uh, the corner of? What is it typically? Bowman. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, is it? Isn't it Bowman? Bowman. Bowman. You were talking yeah. about the yeah. bank there? Normally yeah, the, the bank, one he does, yeah. Bank, was it Bank One or First Bank or whatever? Right across from uh, Best Buy. Yeah, right across. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, and I'll let you know because it's a cool thing to go to 
each night when they do it. Uh, you learn something, and you learn something about Jewish history. Hey, don't forget about uh, the folks over at ICU Protection. Billy Mack wants you to have a home that you feel like uh, when you're sitting there in the evening, you don't have to worry about somebody breaking in, or if you happen to be out uh, and going to see you know, First Baptist of Little Rock and the tree celebration they have, or whatever, you might go... Uh, Go uh, enjoy for the holiday period. Uh, you know, you know that you can set uh, your alarm and you don't have to worry about your home. These are guys that uh, take care of uh, protecting Nuke One. If they can protect a nuclear reactor, they can take care of your living room and your kitchen. Uh, they can also take care of your business. Uh, the, the whole thing about door and window sensors and the cameras and all that, you work all that out with Billy Mack. Uh, he'll talk to you, or one of his associates that works for him will talk to you, and uh, you'll talk about blank areas around your house and how you should maybe have a, a camera in that area so if somebody is there, you can see them or whatever. Uh, Billy Mack will work with you to make sure that uh, you're safe, uh, kept safe. I've got to ICU protection, and I'll be honest with you, I feel a lot more comfortable in my home at night and I feel a whole lot more comfortable when I'm not there and I've set the, uh, uh, you know, the, the security system up. Uh, it will send pictures to you on your smartphone. It'll get hold of the people need to got, be gotten hold of and, and have them show up at your home or your business. And here's the other thing that makes it really, really special. Uh, when you have all that equipment put on your house, typically most of these uh, uh, security firms will say, well, that would be three, four, five hundred $500 for that equipment. That's not what happens with ICU protection. Billy Mac knows that you, he's going to keep you as a client for several years. And because of that, he'll make sure that you don't have to put up a lot of money up front that as uh, you stay with him, he'll make his money back. And uh, all you have to do is pay for the service. And no, he doesn't bump up his service payment to cover up the, uh, you know, the hardware payment. That's not the way he works. You call, sit down and talk to him, talk to one of his people. They'll explain it better than I am. Just know that I also use ICU protection, and they're really, really good. That's Billy Mac, ICU protection, 501 501- Two zero five thirteen thirty three five oh one two oh five thirteen thirty three. All right, back with you. Steve Hess is here. Scott Stewart is here. Scott is the uh, senior pastor over at Agape uh, Church, and uh, we'll ask him to talk about Hanukkah and what's going on at his church about that. And then Steve Hess is here to. As he, he does a lot of the teaching over at Agape about uh, Judaism and about Hebraic roots and, and all the things that, and I mean, look, Pastor does a lot about that too. But the bottom line is is that uh, he's got a couple of guys, Steve and, and Billy being the two, I think, main Cambreros, so, you know, brothers, so to speak. And uh, they, they get in and, and they, they teach and they preach over there. So, uh, do you do you give uh, sermons about Hanukkah as it comes up? Sure, Scott. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so every year we will have, um, you know, I, I do a lot of, um, of um, kind of um, 
series that I do. And whenever we come into um, holiday seasons, like our, our whole calendar that we set every year, um, you know, some churches will kind of have these anchor points in their calendar, and their anchor points might be their church's anniversary or something like that. We right. have we have we have anchor points in our calendar, and our anchor points relate around the feast of the Lord. So, okay. So we anchor point in in um, at Passover time, then we anchor point at pa- Pentecost, we anchor point then at uh, Sukkot or Tabernacles, and then the other feasts as well. We'll anchor point through there. So then everything else has to kind of participate with with those things. And one of those anchoring points is uh, is Hanukkah, and so it normally is around the Christmas time. So there's an interweaving of the celebration of uh, the birth of Messiah, although we believe it happened at uh, Sukkot time. Right. It's, you know, and it's okay in a sense. You know, like uh, in the in the UK, I lived there for eleven years. You know the queen, and now we have. There's a king there, of course, now. But the, you know, when the queen was, you know, queen had a birthday, but then there was a national celebration of her birthday that actually wasn't on the day she was born. It was a time that was more convenient for everybody to, right. to do it. So in a way, it's kind of like that for us, other than some of the traditions we've accepted. But we always bring Hanukkah in, and Hanukkah is um, is uh, is going to be around the Christmas time. Well, it's eight days, so it kind of flows through that this year. So I'll bring that uh, bring that up. And we always have a big, you know, when Hanukkah, Hanukkah comes around, we and maybe Steve can speak to this. But one thing we do is uh, like we call it Hanukkah Sunday, which is the Hanukkah the Sunday that falls in the midst of Hanukkah. We have a huge um, donut feast. So we have, yeah, so. No, wait a second. <laughs> Dave's like, I'm in. <laughs> That's a Sunday. The donut, the donut feast. And what day I is mean, we, we, we will, And we do it before church, and we'll have hundreds of people that show up early. Think about that. Show up early to church to right. eat a donut. We basically get donut holes because. Uh, the reason they do that is because it's part of the fried food, things cooked in oils, oh, okay. uh, vodkas, and different things. So it, all right that it's got yeast in it? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's okay. completely separate. That's yeah. in the, the spring for Passover. But right. this is about um, celebrating the oil that lasted for eight days, so oh, they eat okay. a lot of fried. Late yeah. Great Planet Earth. Yeah. They may make a lot more out of that than what you they just do. Have. They try to turn it into um, um, modern Turkey and in uh, Iran. All I say to that is there might be a secondary fulfillment to that prophecy, but its primary fulfillment was in that time. Which happens. Yeah, some prophecies are cyclical. That's right. They are. Right. There are some that can't be, in yep. particular Messianic ones, but but there are certainly cyclical prophecies. Yep. For sure. It's very interesting. Yep. It really is. It's, it's really It is. It's a concept that you know I've been teaching quite a bit on because it's something that, that because we have such a Greek mindset and we talk about that all the time. And you got to break it, don't It you? has to be once. We look at – we can't accept the concept that something happened and can happen again, and it doesn't contradict itself in the Scripture. But if we, if we, if we try to parse out the tradition and, and, uh, and, and so forth, when we look at um, the feast itself, one thing that we emphasize at this time, it is – called the Feast of Hanukkah, which is the Feast of Dedication, which dealt with the temple in particular, because it was being rededicated uh, because it had been uh, spoiled. So we focus uh, this time of year on rededicating our life to the Lord. So it's a time where we, we enter into a, a time of dedication. So you know, you know, you, you probably have heard that. You know, some people, you know, you have a you have a revival service. And yeah. You know, some people get born again. Some rededicate their life. Yep. So, if you if you took the word rededication, you put it into Hebrew, you'd come out with something close like uh, Hanukkah. So we we try to bring in this whole thing. We're ending the year. Let's rededicate our life to you know to the year that's coming. And we so we have our own personal Hanukkah experience. We relight the fire in our own life again. We 
you know, stoke those flames. We rededicate our life. So it kind of we do celebrate, um, you know, all the trappings that go along with the holiday. But then for us personally, because we know that we are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes we need to rededicate ourselves to who we are. So we kind of take time to kind of deal with those things in a very personal way. and uh, it may, in a very practical sense, although it is the fulfillment of the prophecy, it is also the rededicating the temple. It is um, something that Jesus celebrated. It's also for us personally. So it can, you could you could preach a, you know a whole month on this. Mm-hmm. Look at the different aspects of of the of the whole feast. So, so what what are the main aspects of this? And let me ask this question, and we'll move on to our final break. What are the main issues that you preach on during Hanukkah time? The main issues. Uh, well, um, we talk about things. What? Um, so when I look at when I talk about this, we we ask the questions like, what was the reason why? What happened that caused the temple to be defiled in the first place? And so, um, and then I bring up the issues and things, especially what was mentioned in the uh, in places like the Talmud, which is which is Jewish writings, and and um, a strong reference you can make is what we're seeing today, and that's the intermingling. Right. So it was the the uh, I can't think. I was about to say the Greekization. What, uh, <laughs> Hellenization. Hellenization. Thank you. I couldn't think yeah. of the word. It was the Hellenization of Same Judaism. Thing. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah, the, the story is he mentioned about uh, you know the defeating of the Greeks. So basically, you were having this Greek worldview being forced on the on, on Israel, and Israel was fighting against the Greek invasion. Mm-hmm. And so and I've taught that as well. I'm like, we have to contend for the Hebraic root of our faith, and I've taught before on all about trying to push out Hellenism, push out Greek thought, and maintain the purity of our faith. Because that's what Antiochus did. He came in and said, okay, no more Sabbath, no more celebrating your feasts, no more uh, coming to Jerusalem. Um, you know, um, also, you know, um, who was it? Uh, um, Hadrian also. You know, he also did, you know, he wouldn't let any Jews come to uh, Jerusalem for any of the feasts. And this, this Hellenistic thing has to be fought against, and Hanukkah is a great time to focus on that. Mm-hmm. All right. Final break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll come back. You learn a lot of history today. And uh, I'm letting these guys teach that to you. And uh, before we get to the 18th, we'll have time to maybe do a little what you would do on Hanukkah. Uh, the next time that we're together, we'll light a candle, play with dreidel a little bit. Mm-hmm. You feeling lucky there, more? <laughs> Always. All right. Bring some gelt. Gelt is usually chocolate, just so you know. Chocolate wrapped in. All right. Hillcrest Designer Jewelry wants you to know they're ready to have you stop by. I believe that Eric Coleman's stopping by again tomorrow, and we're going to talk about what's going down in the, the world of jewelry and what you should be looking at as buying for that special someone that you have in your life. Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, located over 3,000 Kavanaugh, place that I go when I buy uh, uh, jewelry. i got to make a payment here in the near future dealing with uh, uh, some stars of David I'm I'm having made and uh, and uh, a cross in the middle of it uh, to, to solidify my belief of uh, Hebraic and, uh, and Christian thought. Uh, here uh, in my own life. So uh, you can get things like that made over at Hillcrest. Maybe not for Christmas this year, but at least you could get it uh, started for 
next Christmas, put it that way. Uh, if you want to just go through and look through in the display cases, you can find some really, really quality jewelry that uh, you can pick up for your special someone. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry with Eric Coleman, located 3000 Cavanaugh in Sweet E, open Monday through Saturday from 10 until 6. All right, with the folks from uh, Agape here today, and they're being a Hebraic root congregation and and, uh, and church, it made sense to me to spend some time on Hanukkah today and, and Hanukkah next week, because mm-hmm. next week will be almost a week away from the start. It will start on the 18th, but we meet again, I think, on the 13th. Okay. Uh, so we'll, we'll do it as, as though it were the first day or whatever, so that people can get a a feel for what's coming is every day a different story is that what happens I don't, you mean you mean as far as the eighth day what you yeah do as you're saying, i mean every day you light a candle yeah right? well it depends it, there, it's just like a lot just like christmas you're going to have a thousand different ways in which it's celebrated different families different regions and all that kind of stuff and uh, we ended up borrowing a uh, using a book uh, from a friend of mine um, um i guess he wouldn't problem if i said his name darren huckey he wrote a book um called the eight lights and it's 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 tells a story each night um that is some principle in which you want to remember about uh something so it there it's either something about love or something about generosity you know and so they tie and so you read the blessing you say the blessing over the lighting of the candles and so i always encourage people to use his book just because it, it's it's pretty good about having some sort of principle to bring you back uh, to how we should live and how well, should we I'm, should I'm looking, for instance, at the candles yeah. that, that you gave me. And on the side, it has the blessings that you're supposed, I guess, to say. Mm, these are traditional blessings. Uh, yeah, that you're supposed to say. Here's the key. I look at it, and I guess it's like, is it Baruch? Baruch. Baruch. Adonai. 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 Yeah. And uh, you, you open it up before you say that before you light the candle. Mm-hmm. It's blessed are you, our Lord, our God. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. And it follows Easy up for you with, to say. <laughs> follows up with uh, um, who enabled us to be able to light the candles of the nor or enabled us to make it to this season. There's a couple of lessons yeah. that they say during that time. My wife, she um, she's done this uh a few years, um, she will actually send a uh, Hanukkah box to our grandchildren, mm-hmm. and, and there is, um, and she writes a little um, eight-page um, thing that they read through. They read through it, they light a candle, and they open one gift out of this box. All the kids do. So now, let me ask: Do they think it's a little thing that it's eight pages long? What I don't understand. I mean, it, I mean, it's something you said. Did she write something? Well, she writes said, something oh. for every day. Oh, of, oh, oh, of the, of oh, oh. Of so the you eight. got one yeah. page yeah. for each so, day. So, okay, so I misunderstood you. And and so she'll tell, um, she'll tell uh, a story. Basically, what we focus on. Okay, I'm talking about our family, and I do this at the church sometimes too. Because, like I said, you can preach this from all different directions, because. The phrase that is said is Nezgado Hayah Sham, a great miracle happened there. We focus on miracles. So, like Loretta might write one page and just talk about healing miracles. Oh, and okay. then at the end, she'll say, you know, tell your brothers and sisters or your mom and dad something God has healed you from this year. Or another one might be upon just a. Um, uh, something you prayed for and happened, or and so it's so, so we kind of focus on miracles, and the kids get excited about that, and then she will have a, a little gift for them. But one of our one of our our children and grandchildren they follow it pretty pretty 
pretty well. The other one, they open everything on the same day. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't. Uh, they get it all. Done. They get it all done in one in one go because they can't resist uh, opening the other uh, eight gifts. There's like Steve said. There's so many ways that you can celebrate. We're just trying to make it fun for the the grandkids since we're not mm-hmm. with them. Right. Uh, it's a way that we can you know you know influence them and you know help teach them and so they they kind of live in the in these these two worlds in the in a way so okay if, the, so if you like what you're hearing here and you want to know more about it uh, is there a book that you can pick up that deals with hanukkah uh, i just recommend my friend's book to just okay. because it, it helps take a from the beginning uh through the end okay and, and so it's called it, uh it's called the eight lights i believe the eight eight lights. Lights. it's on uh, amazon i believe okay there you go. Let me double check. Eight lights, and there's so many ways that you can uh, that you can look at. It. You can talk about obviously Jesus being the light of the world. You can you can go to the Bible and look up all the things that talks about light mm-hmm. uh, and discuss yeah. that. It's a uh, eight lights, a Hanukkah devotional for the followers of Yeshua. And Jesus, written yeah. yes, uh, written by Darren Huckey, and so it starts off the first uh, four or five pages that, and all that you read yeah, on the first ten night. seconds that tells about the whole story, and then it does a devotional every night. It's all a right. very good book. We'll we'll deal it. We'll delve into this deeper when we come back next Tuesday, guys. Thanks for coming in here for the Bible, guys. I'm Dave Ellswick. Back at nine o'clock, Dick Morris with us at that time here on one hundred one one FM, The Answer. All right. Nine o'clock hour, final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Tuesday. Uh, tomorrow, remember, we'll talk to Congressman Hill, Congressman Westerman about what's happening up in uh, Washington, D.C., and find out what they have to say about McCarthy and and all the shenanigans that's going on about who's going to be the next speaker and why some of the people of the Freedom Caucus seem uh, tied to wanting to lose instead of winning uh, next year uh, when uh, Congress comes to comes to town with a uh, Republican majority in the House. But right now, Dick Morris joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Dick, on your uh, website today, great article. Uh, Dems have 223,000 vote lead in Georgia runoff. Give us the breakdown on this. Well, um, in my book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback, uh, the whole first chapter is about the new rules of politics that the Democrats have put in place. And by that, I do not mean voter fraud. I simply mean new ways of voting that they have pioneered and the Republicans have not learned. And I believe that those ways of voting are responsible largely for all the defeats we had in 22. Um, I believe, and at the moment it's showing itself in Georgia, where in the early voting, uh, 223,000 more Democrats voted early than Republicans. Overall, 51% of the early votes in Georgia are by Democrats, and only 39% are by Republicans. And that mirrors the uh, 20, the uh, 20 election when uh, 65% of the early votes were Democrats. And in the 20 election, the 22 election, not the runoff, the first election in November, uh, 60% of the early votes were, were Democrats. So we're going into these elections giving away hundreds of thousands of votes. In Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz had only 100,000 early votes. 
But Fetterman had 700,000. Wow. Most of them before he had that horrible, stupid debate performance. So by the time he showed that he can hardly speak English, um, he had already banked 700,000 votes, and they could never overcome that. There is no reason for Republicans not to vote early. Uh, they're simply scared because of the effect of the 2020 election when they feel the early votes were not properly counted. And bear in mind that there, that if you vote early in person or if you vote by mail early, uh, your vote is going to be counted just fine, never not been. The fraud was in drop boxes where you drop it in and the party worker picks it up. And a Republican should never vote in a drop box in a Democratic county because the Democrats will throw it away. But it's like Mark Twain's story about the cat that sat on a hot stove and he'll never sit on a hot, hot, hot stove again. But he'll never sit on a cold one either. And um, the, the Democrats pioneered the new methods of voting. And we have to learn those rules. I outline them in my book. Number one, vote early. Number two, vote by mail if you can. Don't wait on the long lines on election day. Number three, vote absentee if there's any question that you'll be able to vote. Uh, even if you just want to vote absentee for the hell of it, do it. And finally, go door to door and outside of churches and shopping centers with a ballot box under your arm and a pen in your hand and have people vote right then and there in elections. That's called ballot harvesting. And it's legal. You usually have to get the social security number of the voter to make sure there isn't fraud. But until we learn these techniques that the Democrats used uh, in 2020 and in 22, and they're using in Georgia now, we're going to continue to lose elections. Uh, I, we just ought to note that in 2020, the Republicans managed the unbelievable feat of pulling 11 million new voters out who did not support them in 2016. But the Democrats got 15 million. And the key is they didn't pull them out. They kept them home on their couches in front of their TVs in the nice warm house and said, here, vote by mail, or here, vote remotely on this ballot box. And we have to realize that's the new way of voting. Hmm. And and we don't seem to be learning that. Rhonda McDaniel has not learned this. Is that why we might need a new ch- uh, chairman yeah. in the National Party? Yes. Uh, she should have been shouting it from the rooftops. What we should do in the future is every single day in September and October during the early voting period has to be treated like Election Day. And the report, we have to report breathlessly uh, on, t- on on Wednesday of, the, of an early voting period. Uh, we lost by 10,000 votes. Uh, but on Thursday, we won by 5,000 votes. In other words, each day is election day. And you have to count out how many votes. You don't know what the vote says until it's finished because it's a secret ballot. But you can tell from the party registration. But I don't think you have that in Arkansas. Uh, you you can tell whether the person who voted is a Democrat or a Republican. And the, the Democrats invented these new rules originally because of COVID and because they wanted to steal the election. And they abused them and they, they 
they lifted record of shenanigans that led many, including me, to call the election fraudulent. But that doesn't mean that the changes they brought about are in large part not irrational or, or, or illegal or fraudulent. They're, they're correct. Voter turnout has increased by about 30 percent uh, since 2000. Uh, and we need to accommodate that. We can't make everybody wait online in the rain for two or three hours to vote. So what the Democrats are doing is pocketing their votes early. And then on election day, the machine breaks down, it runs out of ink, the lines are an hour, two hours, three hours long, and the Republicans take one look at it and drive home. The Democrats don't have to do it because they voted already. In Arizona, for example, where we lost the Senate seat, this year, 5,000 people signed in to vote, physically, personally, in person, and then did not cast ballots uh, because they went outside, they looked at the line, and they said, this line is too long, I have a life to live. Hmm. Democrats didn't happen with them because the votes were already pocketed. Okay, so today, looking at this uh, Warnock and uh, uh, race that's going on, uh, I heard that Kemp getting involved in this race should make it a photo finish and that there is a possibility Republicans will win. Do you think that happens? Do you think he's able yeah. to dra- drag Herschel Walker across the finish line? <laughs> Nobody's ever had to drag Walker across the goal line. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. Usually they work on keeping him out. But the, but um, it's, it, I just can't tell. Uh, it, the polling shows Walker behind by four. Uh, there are some demographic indications that uh, that black early voting is down and that senior early voting is up and they have a good base for the Republicans. Uh, you just can't tell at this point. But you can tell that if we do win, it's because we worked like maniacs and overcame a quarter of a million vote deficit entering election day that we did not need to have. Yeah, we. I mean, this is what we saw in Arizona. This is what we saw in Pennsylvania this year. You get to the big day, the day that, you know, Republicans tend to think is the day to get out and turn out the vote. And, you know, the tabulating machines, two-thirds of them don't work in Maricopa uh, yeah. County in, in Arizona. And then you're having problems in, in Pennsylvania. You don't even have a clue of how many thousands of votes you lost. Yep, in Maricopa County, the the printers ran out of ink. Yeah, how does that happen? <laughs> so, so I mean, it's and, and it's deliberate by the Democrats. They pocketed their votes. They've all voted early. What the hell do they need election day for? And this is a, a key point that I make in my book, The Return. We have to beat the Democrats at their own game, following their own rules, and. We sold 107,000 copies, but I wish all the uh, campaign managers on the Republican Party read it so they could absorb the lessons and we would have won the Senate. Interesting. Our guest, Dick Morris, he's the man, he's the mind. They call uh, Carl Rove the brain. I call Dick Morris the brain. 
and he joins us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to come back, finish up our conversation with him. Want to talk to him about another article that he wrote just recently about don't let the Democrats cut the GOP out of budgeting for 2003. The only way they can do that is if the Republicans allow it. We'll talk to Dick Morris about that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's not forget about our good friend Pat Davis from your health plan man uh, uh, health insurance and what they can do for you to save money. You know, Pat and his son and his uh, son-in-law and all the other folks that are part of his business custom build health plans to take care of you. They are important just to you and your family. You don't use anybody else's health insurance. You use your own. So make sure that your own health care policy is built to take care of you. Private health plans that pay you to go to the doctor and are available all year round, that uh, have no government-controlled subsidies, all of that. Make sure you cut out the middleman. Make your health insurance policy work for you and make some money for you and save your money so that you can spend it and not some middleman who's screwing you over. Call or text them at 501-605-6935. That's uh, 501-605-6935 or... Go to your health plan man. That's one word, yourhealthplanman.com. We've got the author of The Return on with us today. Dick Morris is here. This is his new book. It's called The Return, talking about Trump 2024. Uh, has he hurt himself over this week, Dick? I mean, this whole thing about the Constitution and everything? Well, yeah, he has a month. Democrats and among some independents, but not in any serious way in the Republican primary. Uh, as always with Trump, it's important to realize what he actually said. He said that because there is clear evidence in now, which is a big story, overwhelming evidence, that the, um, that the uh, Twitter people conspired with the Biden people to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story in the two weeks before the election, which is including on the last presidential debate, and that they uh, that they deleted any mention of it and stopped people from sharing facts with each other, which probably cost Trump the election. And he, he talked about that, and he said that we've got to find ways to stop this from happening again. And uh, he said we have to terminate doing it. Uh, even uh, going as far as we need to go. And in fact, what he meant is hold hearings so that we can determine the depth of the collusion. He also wants to pass legislation that's constitutional, and that's what he meant by constitution, uh, barring Twitter from cutting off uh, news sources and requiring them to fully and fairly report the news because they're a public utility, they're a monopoly. Uh, they use public airwaves, and it was stuff like that he was talking about. And the, the Democratic press takes a very important pro-Republican, pro-Trump story, <laughs> which is that the laptop was suppressed by Twitter and everybody else. The FBI said it was Russian disinformation, and um, they lined up 50 intelligence people 
to confirm that, and it turns out that was not true. That was a total lie, and it was put out there so nobody would understand the depth of the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Chinese communist relationship. All right, so what? what's your take on Elon Musk? Is, is he doing the right thing by, you know, yeah. releasing this information? Yeah, absolutely. He's a great, great patriot. Uh, <clears throat> it, it's incredible how effective and important he's been um, <clears throat> because he's telling the truth. He's the first guy inside the real conspiracy in this country, which is high-tech um, information age stuff uh, and, the, and the media and the Democratic Party. And he's coming out, he's going inside it and publishing the documents that indicate the depth of the conspiracy. When the FBI is working closely with the Democratic Party and with Twitter and other news organs to censor information that is vital within 14 days of the presidential election, and the FBI is in touch with the Biden campaign to figure out how to suppress that, that is just unbelievable. And it deserves to come out. The only way it's coming out now is Musk releasing documents from Twitter. Now I think the Senate will pick the, the House will pick it up, and we'll hold hearings on this, and we'll all understand it. But we're going to be totally, completely shocked by the depth of the collusion between Biden and the FBI uh, and the and Twitter. Hmm. And it's going to just be shocking. It will be a new day in America when we learn all of this. Well, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest with you. All right, so in your article a couple of days back, you talked about how the, the Democrats lose an election, but they claim victory, and what they're doing right now is saying to the Republicans, hey, let's uh, let's get the budget all set up now. Uh, we can do a, con- a continuing resolution, and we can keep the spending at 2022 levels, which means we still get 82,000 IRS agents and all the other BS that were in the things that they pass. What should the Republican Party be doing now? So every day, since I wrote that column, it gets worse and worse. Now they're talking about not just doing continuing resolution to prolong the spending of 2022, but adding to it by a new budget resolution that they would pass uh, in the lane that session. I don't know if any of you all go duck hunting. I don't know if it's the season for it. But we can use some duck hunters now to go after a bunch of lame ducks. Uh, <laughs> there, are, there are 12 Republicans who either were defeated or decided not to run for the election. Um, but, they're, but they're still... I'm sorry, yeah, but, but, but they're still in their seats until January 1st. Okay. And they are, and they are the rhinos. Uh, they're killers from North Carolina. They're um, uh, Portman from Ohio. And there are 12 of them who basically vote the way the Democrats want them to vote. But when they were up for the election, they were staunch Republicans, allies of us, supportive of Trump. And then as soon as they left, basically left politics, they switch and they suddenly become liberal. And using those votes of people who have either retired or been defeated, the Democrats are planning to pass budgets, giving amnesty to dreamers, um, 
giving, uh, keeping 87,000 new IRS agents, extending the climate change, boondoggle spending, and they're doing all of this by attaching its amendments to the National Defense Act, the Defense Department Appropriation. Nothing to do with defense, but they're putting it there because it has to pass and they can give the people who vote for it cover and say, oh, I was just voting to fund our troops. And in fact, what they were doing was voting to permit amnesty for dreamers, uh, illegal aliens, um, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, what the Republicans should do is they should say, the real Republicans, we will not vote for any new spending or any budget or any continuing resolution now. We'll vote for it in three weeks when we take over and the voice of the people can be heard. And if you want to shut the government down over Christmas, be our guest. But there was an election in 22. They threw out the old, they replaced it with the new, and now the Democrats are trying to bypass the new and get the old to vote on the budget. And this is serious because once they do that, we can't change the budget until the end of the fiscal year which is October 1st, 2023. That's A.D., folks. I gotcha. Dick Morris, thank you so much for your time today. The name of the new book, The Return. Get a copy of it. Give it to somebody you love over Christmas. Give them something really to sink their teeth into. And Dick, we'll leave you alone until after the first of the year, and then we'll have you back on. But thanks for being part of the show today. Thank you. All right. Dick Morris here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's take a few moments here to uh, remind you about a few things that are coming up. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll have both of our congressmen on. And, in fact, uh, let me just say to you, Aaron, Kate, that last segment that I just talked about uh, with Dick Morris about uh, the budget, and let's cut that out and save it for tomorrow and play it back for our congressmen and see what they have to say about what he's suggesting to us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And then uh, right now I got two tickets for the tree over at uh, First Baptist. Uh, and uh, if you would like to go see the tree, it's a musical presentation, Christmas uh, musical presentation at Little Rock First Baptist Church uh, over on Rodney uh, Parham uh, Drive. Uh, we'll give those tickets to you. Be the second caller at 501-823-0965. That's 501-823-0965 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's get back to the last uh, couple of segments of today's show. Some uh, interesting things just popped. I'm just telling you, this just happened. I just got it on my phone. Congressional Democrats are set to hand President Biden and the White House a defeat on Tuesday by including language within the annual defense policy bill that repeals the coronavirus vaccine mandate for U.S. troops. Fox News has learned that the... uh, NDAA, that's the National Defense Authorization Act, which uh, we just had uh, Dick Morris talk about, will include a provision repealing the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for service members. The bill is expected to be released Wednesday and be voted on by the House later this week. 
While the bill will remove the vaccine mandate for U.S. troops, it will not reinstate service members who were discharged or had their benefits slashed for refusing to be immunized against the uh, against COVID. Lawmakers on the House and Senate Armed Services Committees are working on including language within the NDAA that allows the Department of Defense to access the uh, status of service members impacted by the mandate. A further provision within the legislation will mandate the Pentagon study ways in which uh, which to compensate service members who were punished for refusing to be vaccinated. The decision by lawmakers comes one day after the White House reasserted its support for keeping the vaccine mandate in place. Defense uh, Secretary Austin's been very clear that he opposes the repeal of that vaccine mandate. And the president actually concurs with the secretary uh, that we need to continue to believe that all Americans, including those in the military, should be vaccinated and boosted for COVID-19. That, according to the White House National Security Council coordinator for strategic communications, John Kirby. Uh, so uh, we're going to see what happens tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to be interesting tomorrow. Just telling you. And this is where there's a new sheriff in town on, on the House side. Now, you heard what Dick Moore said. you got to watch these uh, people that uh, lost during the election that are Republicans, uh, ones that are leaving uh, as Republicans, and to make sure that they don't uh, vote uh for uh, the Democrats and to cut them off at the pass. So we will talk about that tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll have, of course, Congressman Hill, Congressman Westerman on, see what they have to say about that, see what they have to say about what Dick Morris said uh, today. Should be a great show in the second hour tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, I still got these tickets uh, for someone that would like to go to the First Baptist uh, Church here in Little Rock. That's at 62 Pleasant Valley Drive. And go see uh, the tree. This is a Christmas spectacular uh, that's going to be held there. The tickets are good for Saturday and uh, at the 5 o'clock performance and gives you an opportunity to go see it. The performance length is an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, The box office, by the way, if you don't win these tickets, it opens an hour before the performance begins. The doors open 30 minutes before the performance begins, so at 4.30. So here you go. All right. Again, let me remind you, I got two tickets. If you are the second caller right now, I'll give you the tickets. Well, I won't. Aaron will. Aaron's sitting over there. He's going to answer the phone. And the phone number uh, that you should call is 501-823-0965. 501-823-0965. Be the second caller, and we'll be happy uh, to give you a pair of tickets to go see the tree at First Baptist Little Rock on uh, Saturday. I'll have another pair of tickets to give away tomorrow, but uh, we'll make sure we give those away uh, again uh, t- uh, tomorrow so that uh, you can prepare for your Saturday. I think we've had a couple of calls, but one call, one call. All right, so next call wins the tickets. 
You'll be the next caller. 501-823-0965. Again, 501-823-0965 for the tree at First Baptist Little Rock, 5 o'clock Saturday uh, afternoon. So if you want those tickets, call now and be uh, the next caller, and you are uh, the winner. All right, Supreme Court uh, questioned Biden's administration uh, about his reckless border policy. This article just came off the press today uh, from the folks over at uh, the Heritage Foundation. Here's what they said. The Biden administration offered an implausible construction of a federal law that flies in the face of the limitations imposed by Congress. The uh, Solicitor General of the U.S. made the claim uh, that while an individual might have standing to sue over proprietary harms or financial damages, states do not. The Solicitor General's claim even went too far for Justice uh, Jackson, the Supreme Court's newest and probably most liberal member. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments Tuesday in a lawsuit filed by Texas and Louisiana over Biden administration guidelines that severely restricted the Department of Homeland Security's enforcement of federal immigration law against illegal uh, aliens. Twenty other states supported Texas and Louisiana with amicus briefs ranging from Arizona to Florida, West Virginia to Wyoming, Arkansas, of course, and on that. The Biden administration was appealing a federal district court judge's ruling vacating its September 30th, 2021 guidelines nationwide after the judge concluded they violated U.S. law. The guidelines are remarkably forthright in admitting the administration's intent to minimize enforcement efforts and to remove as few illegal aliens, undocumented non-citizens as they call them, the guidelines make that statement, as possible. According to the administration, the uh, misnamed enforcement efforts of the Department of Homeland Security are to be guided by the fact that the majority of undocumented non-citizens who could be subject to removal has been contributing members of our communities uh, for years. They've been here uh, in the shadows. They're here illegally, but doggone it, they're here. So they've been, uh, they've been playing the game right since they came in here illegally, and so we should keep them here. I I uh, firmly feel uh, definitely against that. Uh, so they said, uh, and the fact that they are here illegally should not alone be the basis of an enforcement action against them. Boy, I tell you what, that's just clueless type of thoughts. That's what that is, clueless types of of thoughts. Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas, who authored the guideline, said, quote, justice and our country's well-being require this approach. Our, re- our, our well-being? Explain that one to me, Mayorkas. I mean, we got to get rid of this guy. And uh, that's something that uh, hopefully McCarthy will be able to register with him. But that's the kind of stuff that's going on right now. Uh, as far as the uh, the Supreme Court 
And I, I think that the Biden administration is going to lose on this one and lose big. And I think they're going to find out that the Republicans uh, can make it very difficult. I, I'm with Dick Morris. At this point, if uh, the uh, Democrats are going to try to run uh, things uh, in the last uh three weeks of of this year before the Republicans take over to keep the Republicans from being able to uh, take care of the budgetary processes in this country, then it seems like to me there's no other other thing to do but to let the the government shut down. Let it shut down. And it's the Democrats' fault, not the Republicans. It would be the Democrats' fault if that happens. All right. Let's get final break. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget, I still have that pair of tickets. Pair of tickets to go see the tree. You be the next caller. You will be the winner of the tickets. Uh, 501-823-0965. And uh, we'll give you a pair of tickets to the Saturday night performance at 5 p.m. to see the tree. Which is a fan, if you haven't seen it before, it is a fantastic production brought to you by First Baptist Church right here in Little Rock. All right, we're back. Let's uh, finish it up for today. We've got, oh, about 10 minutes here to talk. Uh, Joe Rogan doing his show the other day and went off uh, on some folks. And, uh, I, I get to listen to Rogan's show once every four or five weeks. I don't get to hear it very often. But this one was a good one. Joe Rogan slammed what he calls fat professors who defend unhealthy lifestyles. Of the, uh, and he, he attacked them in the Joe Rogan experience. And, you know, here's what he said. He said, F off, fat professors. Just F off. Uh, you guys are unhealthy. It's not in any way good. And here's what he was talking about. His guest was fitness influencer Derek of the more uh, uh, dates and more plates, more dates YouTube channel, where the the two appeared uh, to reference a document from the University of British Columbia in Canada. The document defended the removal of a nutritional information from menus because putting the number of calories next to an item can be, quote, triggering for some students. Quote, it can be triggering for those that this uh, disordered have disordered eating habits or eating disorders. The document the students read. Uh, for those of us who have a rocky relationship with food, either in the past or present, I can be triggering when we are presented with caloric information. And it can affect our ability to repair our relationship with food. By stepping away from nutrition information, we can place a greater focus on the enjoyment of food and creating a satisfying experience, unquote. It's a frickin' lie. It's like you're not supposed to tell somebody they're overweight. I've never understood that. You know, they're 
they're uh, I don't know uh, you know food challenged or something you know they come up with these real soft uh, terminology. God forbid us if we call somebody fat. That's ridiculous. I mean, look if you're fat and the shoe fits you, wear it. You know, just know the way it is. I did it one time. I used to weigh almost 280 pounds. I now weigh 195. I decided I didn't like being fat. It's that simple. And so I changed my life, uh, lifestyle. Derek described how the university removed all of the nutritional information, apparently, from the foods the students were getting on their meal plans because it was, quote, too triggering to show the calories. He continued, uh, if parents, this screwed up uh, with this kind of scenario where you can't even self-regulate even the individuals who want to stay at a healthy weight, you can't even figure out what the, you know, what the F you're eating. No way to figure it out. Rogan recalled a viral video showing a female professor talking about how avoiding certain foods is just fat phobic. And it's not based in science. He also remembered the woman saying, you shouldn't deny yourself donuts and, quote, to call some food junk food. Obese uh, person, you know, you know, they just, they, obese is fat. All right, let's, let's be honest here, all right? There's another use of a word to try to make it sound nicer than what it is. If you're obese, you're fat. Period. Now, how are you ever speaking publicly on this, uh, Rogan wondered. Rogan criticized the idea that people are disturbed by actual data presented about the foods they are choosing to eat and suggested that it, quote, doesn't mean anybody should tell you that you should or shouldn't uh, do that, but you should know. The host suggested that by demonizing basic information they're raising the most non-resilient people possibly because uh, to man where every single microaggression even single thing that can trigger you all those are removed and you are just raw and vulnerable where protests use this uh, university system and then you you spit out into the world where you will then infect corporations with this ideology, and that is what we're experiencing, he said. I'm speaking of Rogan. It's wild how the shift to comfort mentality has very much become commonplace. I feel like this is partially why uh, men's testosterone levels are dropping to just like the lifestyle encouragement to be a, a sedentary person. And, uh, you know, you're offended, and you sit around, and you don't lose any weight, and you get fat. Uh, Alexander Hall, an associate professor uh, for Fox News Digital, said that they're right on the mark. Uh, I mean, look, you can, say, you can try to call it whatever you want. But fat is fat. I mean, you just look in the mirror. Come on. 
Look in the mirror. Now, I agree. There are some people who have eating disorders, all right? They look in the mirror. They see that they're fat when they're really not fat. I'm very aware of that. But, I mean, that's anorexia and, and whatever. But for the most part, most people look at those at themselves, and they can tell if they're fat or not. I didn't have any problem when I was overweight uh, telling myself that I was fat, you know, Dave, it, you know, you start off by saying, you know, I need to lose a couple of pounds, you know, and you you put your hands a little bit under your stomach and kind of move it around a little bit. You know, need to get rid of that. And then it gets a little bigger because you really don't you're not serious about it. But the day comes when maybe just maybe you understand that all that fat that's kind of hanging out there is really, really bad for you, makes its own hormones and all kinds of stuff, and can kill you, and you decide, you know what, I'd like to live a little bit longer. Maybe I want to see my kids a little bit longer. I want to, you know, see a few more Christmases for them. And you stop eating the crap you've been eating. And you pull back on the amount of that crap you're eating. And that's what it is. A lot of the stuff that we consume, I mean, a lot of us, let's be honest, we go eat at the fast food places and, uh, you know, you, you can't sit and, and gobble down three Big Macs every day, a large fry, uh, and, and then say, oh, I did drink a Diet Coke, so that, that negates it all. It doesn't work that way. And is it hard to lose the fat? Yes, it is. It's always harder to take it off than to put it on. But look yourself in the mirror, see how you are, and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get rid of that fat. I'm going to get rid of it. And if you miss on a day and and you overeat, don't kill yourself about it. Just get right back up on the horse and ride it some more. All right. Time for me to get out of here. Remember, I'll have, uh, for you folks that want them, tickets again tomorrow. Uh, The First Baptist uh, Church in Little Rock on Saturday, December 10th, 5 p.m., to uh, go see the tree. And these are good tickets right on the floor. You'll want want some of these. I'll have four more uh, tickets to give away tomorrow. Be start listening at 6 a.m. for it, and we'll have all that information for you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Congressman will be on with us tomorrow, and uh, Eric will be on with us from over at uh, Hillcrest uh, Designer Jewelry as well. That's all coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show right now. Time for me to get out of here. See you tomorrow morning on 6 a.m., not 9 a.m., 6 a.m. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.